Hello and welcome everyone to episode number 25 of the Completed Podcast, where we talk everything Magic the Gathering related, with a focus on competitive magic and some friendly banter along the way. I hope everyone has had an awesome week so far. I'm your host, Chris Vega, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Brandon Smith, aka B-Money. What up? So this week, we're really excited to introduce our guest. It's Dom Harvey. He's a professional Magic the Gathering player and master of the Amulet Titan deck. Uh, Dom has recently made waves in the community with his impressive top eight performance at Pro Tour Barcelona and his appearance at Worlds in Vegas pretty recently. Today, we'll be deep diving into his winning strategies and tactics and getting an inside look into the mind of a true professional player. Please, guys, make sure to go follow him on Twitter at Harvia. That's D-O-M-I-N-H-A-R-V-I-A. And again, we want to thank him uh, for his time and for coming on to the show with us. So we hope you guys enjoy and enjoy the episode. So yeah, Dom, how's uh, how's your week been, man? It's been good. Yeah, uh, this is uh, the calm before the storm, I guess. A lot of uh, coaching gigs and just other stuff I have to do later in the week. And hopefully we'll be getting out of the house to actually play some Paper Magic uh, this weekend as well. But for now, taking it easy. And this is the first of, uh, of the occasions on the calendar, if you like. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, so if somebody were to want coaching from you, uh, where can they check that out at? Uh, so I do have a page on uh, Medify. Medify. Still not sure what the official uh, pronunciation is there, but uh, easiest way is always going to be just to DM me on uh, Twitter, find me on Discord, uh, just reach out through some kind of platform, and I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Sounds great. So of course, you know you're a man that needs little to no introduction, but go ahead and uh, kind of tell us, you know, who you are, what got you into magic, um, and yeah. So yeah, I'm Dom. I'm someone who is. Pretty immersed in most aspects of competitive magic at this point. I uh, have been a writer, content creator, as broad as that term is, a uh, coach uh, for a few years now, and have always been uh, playing tournaments, been in the trenches, have done pretty well in online stuff, in the SEG tour back pre-COVID as well. And then uh, probably my most high-profile finish is uh, the PT Top 8 coming just a few months ago, and now uh, going to be on the, the PT train for at least uh, this upcoming year. So uh, on the official circuit, and then also just uh, doing a lot of extracurricular stuff in my own time as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I, 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 I wanted to touch on like, uh, like that Top 8 the, in the most recent PT was pretty crazy. I mean, the stars had to align for that to happen um i guess for me it's like i kind of want to understand like what the feeling was when you're sitting there like i don't think you're necessarily sweating like because i think you already had in your mind like the idea that you're like okay i finished really well but it's i i I think i'm going to be coming up short uh you know of the of the top eight and then just finding out like that last round like oh these guys drew now i'm an eighth like i feel like that that feeling was probably like very it was like a weight off your shoulders almost of being like, I did this, you know? It, yeah, it, it was a very strange roller coaster. As you said, I had already I, I'd done what I thought was the math beforehand. And I thought maybe this is a winning in and then, uh, but probably not. And then as I come out of, of that feature match, I'm told that, uh, good job. Yeah, you were playing for ninth. You're going to get ninth. Fair enough. I mean, hard to complain about that, especially after a rough start. And then this whole just like weird whirlwind of, <laughs> of stuff happens uh, that, that sweeps me into the top eight. But uh, I had already just mentally marked it down as a good weekend. And so anything on top of that was was just a free roll of sorts. And it did, it did start to feel like one of those Nathan Fielder skits where <laughs> everyone in the room is in on the joke and playing their part to perfection. And yeah, I, God only knows what weird uh, twist he's going to come up with next. So uh, it was 
I mean, I'm very glad to have been there and to have benefited from it, but it was also just very, very funny, I think is the thing that we shouldn't uh, <laughs> forget about it all as well. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I totally agree. But um, do you think that making that mental shift, because, you know, usually whenever you're dead for top eight for any tournament, whether it be a, you know, RCQ or anything, you're just like, okay, well, I get to have fun the rest of the day, whatever. Um did having to make that mental switch of like, oh, I'm I'm live for top eight. I have to like get back in that mindset. Is that kind of hard for you or was it just like, oh, OK, sick. Let's just let's go. It's hard to answer because I it's hard to notice your own mindset shift in those moments. So you can think, oh, wow, I'm feeling the pressure. Like I, I know what the stakes are abstractly, or at least I thought I did. Uh, but in terms of how that actually affected my performance, it's kind of hard to pin that down. Uh, I, I'm not someone who... I mean, I, I think I struggle when there's a lot of actual scrutiny around me. So uh, almost the matches in the main Pro Tour area towards the end of the round, when there's a lot of people watching uh, at, at the top tables, that almost felt like a more stressful situation than just being under the lights where you you know it's different and you know that there are potentially thousands of people watching, uh, but it's just you and your opponent and a few other people there in the area. And so for whatever reason, I, I was able to just kind of get my head in the zone in that sense. Whereas I, maybe if I had been just in the main area there uh, at table two, table three, and there's a bunch of people around me, maybe I would have flandered under the pressure. Like I, I've had that happen before, even in these lower stakes settings, just at local stuff. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's a very individual topic. Like I, I'm not going to tell people that they should try to ignore the stakes or pretend that things don't matter because for some people that... Uh, that's exactly what they need to do to focus on what's in front of them. But for some people, knowing what the stakes are is the thing that really fires them up and gets them in the zone. So I don't want to tell people what they should be doing, and I'm not even sure what I am doing myself. So uh, I'm not, definitely not qualified to to answer that. That's fair. Yeah. That's very fair. I, I just had to imagine, like I don't know, it's because was this how how many pro tours have you been to in your your entire career? So it depends how you count some of the online stuff that. Uh, in some cases, went under different names, but uh, I think it's. Ooh, let me let me do the count quickly. So, <laughs> at that point, yeah, it was uh, three of the online things, and then three uh, paper pieces. Okay, sweet. Yeah, so this was the, you were no stranger to what was going on in the room, but um, no, I I mean I was one of those faces who, if you're someone else who has played a, a decent number of PTs, like oh, you kind of recognize their face, but you're not sure where from because. They haven't really done well enough at those to like make you sit up and pay attention, if that makes yeah. sense. But uh, I, I guess some of that has changed now, at least. Yeah, because uh, I was like, I was talking with some some people locally, um, and we were just saying like the feeling has to be just like kind of almost overwhelming. Of uh, obviously, if you've been there multiple times and you you kind of are in the, I guess in the upper bracket of magic players in general of people that are doing well, uh, consistently, uh, I feel like the feeling is not necessarily, um, I guess you would say like surprising if that were to happen to you. Um, so that's what I was trying to gauge. Like, I guess what your feeling was going into that, that topic and just being like, Holy crap, I, I made it and like, and you know, it just came out of nowhere and you're just kind of like, you're already, Hey, yeah, let's go get some good dinner. Like, let's do whatever. And then it was just like, boom, the last round happened. You're like, I'm now in the top eight. I get to come well, back tomorrow and play more Magic. Yeah, because <laughs> if you look at the rest of that top eight, in one of the publicity photos, I just have my arm around Kai, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> if not the best player of all time, at least in top three, top five. Uh, and if you listen to this, Kai, you're, you're the best. Don't don't, uh, <laughs> don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But um, 
yeah, so you have one of the all-time greats of the game, and then also I would say two of the current greats in uh, Javier Simon Nielsen, who is now the player of the year, um, as well, after just a phenomenal tear recently. Yeah. And so you, you have these people who you know are a tier above you, a tier above everybody else in the room as well. Uh, and then the rest of us, to some extent, we're just making up the numbers a little bit, but also like this is maybe the first stepping stone towards not becoming a, a Kai or something, but maybe not being that many uh, steps away from a Javier or a Simon in a few years from now, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, for sure. You know, I think the the first finish at any level of competition always has that like special resonance for you, whether it's uh, your first PPTQ top eight, RCQ top eight, or, or the, your finish at the RC that then gets you to the PT, and then probably your first PT or maybe your first 5, 10, 15 PTs don't actually go that well. Um, but then the first one that does, that has its own significance, but you almost want to get to the point where it just becomes uh, unremarkable. So like Simon, I think it was for Barcelona, he showed me the shirt that he had brought in his luggage because he, he didn't think he was allowed to make top eight, but he thought there's a good enough chance that uh, I want to <laughs> lo- look dressed for the occasion on Sunday. And he's at the level now that he can absolutely afford to do that without it sounding ridiculous. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we were. So I used to be a part of, uh, I don't know if you remember, he used to be a part of a group called The Mastermind. It was like a coaching group, I, I guess. Part of it, yeah. Back in the day, so we we still have our group chats and stuff. And he was like messaging the group while he was like just on a tear in that in the in. He was like, I, I'm just kind of just playing games. Like I'm just having fun. I'm not even like focused on winning or losing. I'm just focused on playing the best that I can, and whatever the outcome is is like is going to be the outcome. You know, I can't I can't fault myself for you know. Um, going in with the wrong mindset. I just have to, to, to play it for what it is and enjoy whatever the outcome eventually is. So he has well, a really cool mindset on the game. He, he does. And I, I mean, every conversation I've had with him, I mean, he's super friendly, super open. And then when he is talking about just the, the theory or the gameplay of Magic, I think he is one of the best at doing that that there is right now uh, if you go check out his youtube videos breaking down some of his matches from those those online tournaments it, it is maybe the best educational content out there uh, so just based on all available evidence he has the perfect mindset to bolster his considerable talent and hard work and so on you never know if this is all masking some like seething resentment beneath the surface or whatever so i i, I ran into him at worlds when he was owned too and his food had just like exploded in this bag he was carrying around and so he was really he he could have had a lot of justification to be tilting off at that point but he he still seemed pretty chill pretty upbeat and then sure enough he wins his next 10 matches or something and gets into the top eight again and uh i, I don't know maybe he just finds a way to <laughs> to just avoid all of that but i yeah whatever he does it's working for him yeah absolutely and then i think one of his most memorable moments was definitely at the pro tour the last pro tour where he top eighted where he was like writing his thesis in between rounds i was just like <laughs> yeah. the, the funniest response i've ever seen in my life i was just like you're writing a thesis in between your rounds where you're basically undefeated in a pro tour that's just crazy to me yeah, he, he had some assignment <laughs> due like the, a day or two after and then yeah. somehow found time to go and win Flesh and Blood Nationals in Denmark just in between as a as a yeah. sweetener on the weekend. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if he is... Like, he's not full on in the sense of everything else is going by the wayside. Like he still wants to focus on his, on his work and everything. But uh, yeah, so uh, understandably, Magic is a big part of his life nowadays. Yeah, for sure. I think he's like queued for the next two years or something crazy. So it's like, oh, God. <laughs> not, not actually, but yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it's like, uh, you know, obviously we know who you are uh, and now our audience kind of knows. They didn't know. They do know now they can look you up. I guess what for me. So I also am a Titan player. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Um, I've been playing Titan for probably seven years now, six years now, something, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we live in a region of the U S where you don't really have a lot of reach as far as like the NRG series, um, and star city and things like that. Um, so we don't necessarily get to go out and do all those things uh, as much, but for me, it's like, um, what kind of got you like whenever you first picked up Titan was this like was it like your your mindset going after that was like this is the deck that I like like genuinely enjoy playing I don't care what the room looks like or was it just like the, the one that spoke most to cl- closest to your heart as far as um you know your play style uh I I just kind of because you you kind of took I remember the SCG days whenever you were playing it too and it was just like you took the deck and then you were you just slowly started becoming the Titan guy, right? And so <laughs> I mean for I mean I guess for the people that I was talking to, I don't know if that's the same for everyone, but um I feel like anybody that mentions, you know, Amulet nowadays is just your name's just kind of stapled next to it. So I guess what kind of got you like into the mindset of like this is what I want to perfect and this is So my first dalliance with the deck actually did not go all that well. It was uh at just this local weekly modern event, uh, a friend, one of those people who I think a lot of areas or groups have who just kind of owns basically everything. And if you are on good enough terms with them, you can kind of dabble in just whatever delights the former, uh, the former has to offer. Uh, so he just had a copy of Amulet Sleeved Up and was willing to lend it to me. And I played it and was just stumbling through the basic mechanics, didn't quite know what was going on. And this was uh, in... One of those eras in like 2014, 2015, where just main deck blood moons are everywhere. So that happened to me, which was, uh, just, it wasn't fun <laughs> then. It's still not fun now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some things never change. Uh, but yeah, after that, I put it down. It, it, it seemed like something which I, I guess there's something there, but like it's, it didn't really click with me just at the outset. And I, it didn't seem like there would be much of a reward to putting any more time into it. So I, I didn't try to borrow it again. I just kind of uh, put it out of sight, out of mind. And then the next year, 2015, uh, this was when I think it had risen to become the consensus best deck in the format, or at least that's what a lot of the results said. Still underplayed in the way that a lot of decks like that or KCI in its prime uh, tend to be. Uh, but I figured I should, if I'm really going to engage with this format, I should take it seriously and like pick something new that is actually competitive. I had some some pet modern decks, but none of them uh, could actually stand up at the highest levels if I was being yeah. honest with myself. And this is something which... Uh, was actually relatively affordable. That was a big part of it at the time uh, to build on Magic Online uh, and also in real life. And it it seemed like my kind of stuff, but I needed to get to the point where I could kind of actualize that. Uh, so I just played a bunch of it online and I could feel the 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 rust kind of falling off. I, I yeah. knew that right, this is going to be a comedy of errors for the first uh, five leagues, 10 leagues, 15 leagues. But after that, I'm going to see the results of my work. And that's really satisfying honestly is when like you know you're consciously getting better at something uh and this was also at a time where i mean i was in a graduate program myself i i wasn't really engaged with it and i didn't really have much else going on so yeah if i could just play a bunch of leagues and uh, and really think about the deck and uh, and so on and so that's that's what i did and i felt myself getting better and that's uh what 
got me that first PC qualification was I won my RPCQ uh, in Modern with Amulet. Uh, and that PT didn't go great. This was the uh, Eldrazi Winter PT where oh, I was yeah. I was not aware that that was really a thing and uh, was <laughs> was made aware in uh, in in harsh terms uh, at, at, at the event. But I like that kind of a uh, ticked the box in terms of you know I, I got to my first PT right. I'd mythologized this for for years, uh, almost a decade at that point, and so I, I finally got to do that. So even though it didn't go great, it was still a a good experience. And then I think once you realize that okay that this is just another magic tournament it lets you put yourself in the headspace where you are more likely to get back there and once you do it feels like you belong there a bit more um and so after that for a while actually i tried to make amulet work for that pc and that that kind of fell flat and then it it, i was lying dormant for a bit and then cards got banned and uh, other stuff got printed and the format gradually worked its way back to a point where it was a fringe deck it wasn't ever going to be a popular deck or a tier one deck but it was at least good and then yeah people worked on it more over time and it i i know it just became my go-to something that i really enjoyed playing uh and then the the first open uh scg open that i won with with Amulet, I had been playing KCI a lot and felt like, oh, wow, why wasn't I doing this the whole time? This deck is amazing. Um, <laughs> but the format had reached this point where there was a lot of backlash. Uh, there was a lot of, like, Bant Spirits was a pretty terrible matchup for KCI, and uh, the format had adjusted insofar as it could. And so Amulet was, like, the other deck in my pocket at that point, which, uh, when the hate got too much over here, I could just pivot and do something else I enjoyed over here. Uh, and then, you know, one thing led to another, and I didn't... And the KCI got banned, so that choice was made for me, and I just never really saw a reason to uh, switch off it for a while yeah gotcha. it, it's i feel like it it's ahead, very sorry. uh i don't i don't i don't know the term for it but it's it's nice to hear because i kind of i think we all have the similar first experience with titan where you pick it up and you play it and you kind of fumble and then you're just like oh well i guess that was fun and then you just don't think about the deck for a while because i actually had a, a similar experience in a 5k it was actually a b money's deck. he hands it to me i play it i do terrible it's my first time playing the deck and i'm just like yeah don't ever let me play titan again because <laughs> i was having the same thoughts i'm like i'm gonna have to put a lot of time a lot of you know studying to get really good at this deck and it just wasn't something i was really looking to do at the time but it, i don't know it's kind of endearing i guess to hear that a lot of people have the the same similar first experience with titan yeah, well, th- this is what I tell people who, wh- whether it's friends, if I'm just watching them play a league with the deck or uh, coaching students, I-, I always try to drive home that, look, you are going to feel embarrassed when you pick up this deck for the first time. And that's not a reflection on you or you as a player or anything else. It's just it's it is weird fundamentally. And it's, it takes some time to kind of adjust to it and learn the basics and, and build on those. Uh, and yeah, the students will often come to me and say, like, I feel just completely out of my depth here or uh you know i i've kind of understood the fact that i'm gonna feel this way for a bit but i need you to help me get to that next stage and recognizing that is you know the the first step in improvement so i I try to sincerely uh encourage them that yeah i I felt this way probably if i was picking the deck up now for the first time i'd feel that way again uh you, you can look at uh videos by established pros who they pick up amulet and they kind of bumble their way to a three two in a league and you could probably four one or even five out that league if it was a more seasoned pilot behind the wheel but like that's just part of the learning process and that's what makes it uh, a satisfying quest to, to try and accomplish uh, yeah i noticed that there's a lot i mean so 
you know, being an amulet player, uh, I, I also read your your entire primer, I guess. <laughs> um, but it, it's like there's it, a lot of lot to take in, I guess, overall on the deck and the nuances of everything that go into it. Um, I always think it's super satisfying whenever you find something like a line in the deck that you didn't see before and didn't know existed. And it's like, I've been playing the deck for you know, a couple years at this point. And it's like, still sometimes I'm like, I impress myself playing the deck. And I think that that's part of why I think the deck is so fun to play is because it's so rewarding whenever you, you know, play it flawlessly or close to flawlessly as you, um, whereas, you know, you can bring a mid range deck for instance. And, you know, a lot of times it just, how, how do your threats line up with theirs and, and how, to, how can you kind of navigate your way to give yourself an advantage throughout the game? Um, but finding the spots, um, I think there was one match during the Pro Tour that I watched with you. I think you were playing, um, I think it was like, it was somewhere in the second day. Um, and the commentators are like, ah, you know, Dom looks like he's in a pretty bad spot. Uh, you know, it doesn't look great. And then all of a sudden, you literally just like, go off, put two Titans into play and win the game. And they were like, we didn't see this coming. We don't even know how he did that. And I was like, that's what, for me, like that's the rewarding part of playing Titan. Is like, people don't see the same things that you can see. Um, and I don't know. It, I feel like it makes me a better player overall, but I also just enjoy playing combo decks. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I completely get it. Um, yeah, I, uh, I've always wondered where you kind of picked it up at. And I, that kind of makes sense. Uh, where you're kind of like, yeah, I picked it up, then I set it back down, <laughs> and then I picked it up again for a couple months, set it back down again, because it does come in waves. I've noticed that. Um, I mean, every, I mean, I guess the health, any healthy format comes with waves of like what's good, what's not good, um, and and that Titan is definitely a prime example of that, because it'll go from oh, this deck's super good, why you know everybody's playing it and winning with it, and then all of a sudden everybody be like, all right, let's go back to playing Blood Moon again, and then they're like, okay, well now we can't really play this deck as much, so. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I love uh, I love the fact that uh, that I uh, get to talk to somebody that shares, I guess, the same passion on Titan as I do. It's super fun. I played it every modern tournament, basically. <laughs> one of us. Um, one of us. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So I've, I guess leading into that, do you you've I, I don't know if you've been preparing for anything recently or playing a lot of Magic recently. Obviously, outside of coaching. Um, but do, do you see any, obviously with the, the BNR coming up on Monday, do you see any issues with the modern format at all right now? Like in your opinion, cause I don't, I've I kind of looked on, on, I kind of, I'm pretty up to date on Twitter. I don't interact as much, but I definitely do see everybody. Um, and I don't really see many people talking about it other than to like ban, unban faithless looting, which I think is crazy, but, um, <laughs> I don't know if that's the majority opinion. I think that's just a few people <laughs> trying to, you know, slip, slip on past you. But um, do, you, do you think there's any like inherent like issues with the format right now, like modern in general, or do you th do you think that the, the format's fine the way it is and it just needs to kind of just continue to develop? Um, yeah. I, so I think that the the modern horizon sets. Uh, on balance have been a good thing both of them and hopefully mh3 as well you could kind of lump the the lord of the rings set in there as well but they do help the format just keep escalating to a point where uh 
things get outmoded and eventually the format just becomes defined primarily by those cards and that's certainly been true since MH2 and uh, Lord of the Rings actually had a much bigger impact than I think people really expected at the time or uh, especially given the way it was uh, marketed as well and so yeah if you are coming back to modern after a few years away it's going to look basically unrecognizable and a lot of cards which seem pretty pushed seem like they would not be that fun to play against over and over again are defining the format and these are tests that your uh your cool deck or the deck that you've had seed up for a while is going to have to pass to remain viable and i don't know what that does to the popularity of modern in the long term it seems like based on uh the big modern tournaments in paper that still do happen that uh, things are going okay like people show up and and hopefully have fun but uh th- there are some aspects of the format which like i don't know if they're sustainable now and are only going to get uh, more pressure on them over time and then there's specific stuff that people complain about so uh the number one right now by far is uh just scam as a concept so uh i don't know what you do about that like do you hit grief and or fury uh do you take something else away do you unban cards which might line up well against that kind of deck and just hopefully that diversity helps to to keep things in balance i <laughs> It would not shock me if they ended up banning something from Scam. Maybe not this soon, but like at some point in the near future. That said, they have had a quite impressive record of not having to ban anything since the release of MH2, which if you look back to what happened with the first Modern Horizons, uh, that is an impressive achievement, honestly. And the format actually has, like all, all of these really pushed cards have kind of kept themselves in check. And maybe that balance is starting to slip a bit. And other more recent stuff so i don't know if the one ring has a long-term future in modern and if you're if you're thinking you have to act at some point well maybe now is too soon while the set's still on sale and uh while you know people want that investment to be justified but then two years from now if people are still just playing with and against the one ring every tournament like we've seen this before i don't know how many people are still going to be there (laughs) playing with and against those cards so (laughs) I, i i don't think anything needs to happen right now like this isn't a hogak situation or anything yeah. like that but just for quality of life and for decisions which may have to be made at some point so maybe it's best to grasp a little and just do it I, I think there's a few different things you could justify heading honestly and maybe you do both at once maybe you say okay well we need to take something out of scam but then we also don't want the four color deck dominating the format um the way that it seemed like it might go into the pt so maybe you hear something there maybe you think the cascade decks need to be taken down a peg if everything else is getting hurt as well i, I don't know the, these are these are tough <laughs> questions um i don't think there's an easy answer here but i think there are lots of plausible answers if you want to go down that route yeah for sure i i can't imagine being in the position of having to make those decisions uh and having everyone's opinion basically in your hands <laughs> uh yeah because i'm pretty sure it's like huey and somebody else that that are kind of like heading that up and it's man just the the amount of pressure that it would take to like be like this is what needs to be fixed and why and then trying to justify it and hopefully it happening um i mean yeah no that's i think you're right i think there's no there's no real answer i don't think there's like a a yes or a no to the reason why modern needs to be fixed i think the main core issue right now is that it's if you hit one deck like dom said you kind of have to hit every other deck in the format because i mean banning scam i mean granted i mean omnath has a good matchup against scam um but like if you were to hit scam you kind of have to 
bring the power level of the other decks down some too. And yeah, it's just hard finding that balance. I yeah. Think. So. And you know, Murktide is with the preordain unban. Like it kind of came back into the light after you know, kind of nobody was playing it. It wasn't really putting up good results. Now it's like back up there in like top five, just doing what it's always done very well. And you know, I feel like if you were to hit something out of scam, then you could see four color or Murktide just you know, taking over the spot of scam essentially and there there would just be less uh deck variance, I guess, in in the top tables. But Yeah, I explained it to somebody. So I have the I'm on, always under the opinion that um, you know, the formats as they are now aren't necessarily in bad spots. I understand people's frustration with them, but for me, I'm just kinda like I don't see it's it's not Hogak, like like you said. It's it's just not. Um, so for me, I'm just like I'm always kind of on the side of if you don't if you kind of just don't enjoy playing it, I completely understand. But at the same time, um, you know, the format's not necessarily bad because you had a bad experience. Um, uh, so yeah, no, I I completely get it. And and the the hardest part is I think is just balancing that and and trying to balance it out because the scam decks do get kind of kept in check by a couple decks whereas scam also keeps you know strategies like titan and stuff in check i i i've not found that the scam matchups very good in titan um and i don't know if dom shares the same opinion uh but it's just uh it's hard to balance for sure what what is your favorite what, dom what's your favorite format right now Ah, uh, this well, so vintage, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> which I, I don't know if, if vintage is very swingy. If you ask me after a day where I haven't done well at it or had a miserable experience, then it, that's not going to be my answer to the question. <laughs> um, but if if you psychologically are capable of handling the swings, then uh, vintage is a unique thrill that nothing else can really uh, can really match. This is maybe a controversial take, but Pioneer might be my favorite format right now. I think that. The format gets a lot of criticism, and some of it is deserved, but I think if you ask, just in abstract terms, what do you want out of a Magic format, Pioneer is going to cover most of the answers that most people will give, and even if you put, uh, let them do it in quite uh, selfish terms of, what style of deck do you like to play? Um, what kind of stuff do you want to be doing? There is a deck, probably multiple decks, that are pretty good that you can win a tournament with that fit that description in the Pioneer format. Oh, yeah, um, sure. And so in, in terms of deck building, deck diversity, there's a lot of that going on. And each round of Pioneer RCs that we've had, there have been some really cool innovations, both on a uh, kind of individual card choice level and then also just entire decks just coming out of nowhere that no one saw coming. So the European Championship a uh, week or two ago, the, did you see the 80-card the bring-to-light uh luca rona combo deck just like yep. three three fringe co packages by themselves like smash together into this like beautiful mashup <laughs> you can do stuff like that in other formats but with pioneer it seems to just happen all the time and i yeah. i think that's really cool there's much to be said about like some of the actual gameplay involved um when there are these proactive decks that are too good you often don't really have the reactive stuff to keep those in check but i think that is overstated and the, the mono green deck that gets brought up as the big offender here, it gets beat up every time we have these serious pioneer tournaments. Uh, oh, yeah. So I, I get that losing to that yet again 
is going to be frustrating. Uh, it is a deck where the the variance of it just kind of is quite in your face. Where like, oh, if they hit this exact thing in their top five for Cavalier or Storm, then they win and otherwise they lose. Um, and if you're just on the wrong end of them being on the play and having the nut draw, you, you really do feel helpless. But there's going to be some amount of that in every format, honestly. Uh, I guess, uh, I mean, even standard to some extent. And just, you you have to make peace with that to play Constructed Magic, I think. Yeah. And once you do, I think Pioneer is pretty good by, by most other standards. Yeah, I, I'm also a super huge fan of Pioneer. Uh, I, I think, so I'm... Inherently, in, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of the person that would like to play the best deck every weekend, you know? Like, I'll put the reps in, like, I'll, I'll practice online, things like that, but um, a lot of people don't necessarily share that same... Like, they kind of are just like, okay, this is the deck that I am locking in on because this is the archetype that I like, and this is what I'm... But in Pioneer, like, I feel like every single weekend, a different deck can win. And, like, that's what's super cool, is, like, you can go to a tournament, play Mono White, right or you can go to a tournament play the pia deck or something like that and then you just kind of run through the tournament no matter what and it's just like the matchups aren't polarizing there's no um you know there's no situation where you're like stuck in like limbo of of not being able to win because certain strategies are just way too overpowered um i think there's always a chance to win in the format and that's why i love the format i think the format's great um yeah you're also a mono green aficionado <laughs> like myself uh that's how i qualified for atlanta and stuff uh for the rc and stuff this past season so yeah that, that's uh, how i qualified <laughs> for barcelona which i then top aided and everything else but see, that that kind of highlights the the continuity in the format which is a good thing or a bad thing depending on how you see it where for my my rc that's coming up in about six weeks maybe the best choice for me is to just run back basically the same mono green deck and i could do that and I think it's a good thing that most people can do that. They can pick a deck that they like and really know it and master it over time. They don't have to be finding the cards for a whole new strategy because the last one got banned or got outmoded or something. Um, and so, yeah, I think just to some extent it's good that I could just run it back if I wanted to, but I don't know if it will be a wise strategic move for me to run it back. And that's good too. You know, if there is yeah. some new deck that I want to switch to or if things have moved to the point where I could still play mono green, but it's going to be harder than it was a few months ago. That that's good. That's just what a metagame is <laughs> to put it uh, yeah. bluntly. I completely agree. I, I also, I mean, for me, it's just like, I, where everyone has these, these issues and these problems with playing their, their, their type of strategy that they want to play in any format. I also feel like it comes with a lot of like, uh, like a lot of bias in the sense of like, you've, have played against mono green for instance and they just did the turn one elf into turn two three drop into turn you know into nykthos and to make a bunch of mana you know this does does the thing um and a lot of times they're speaking from a, a standpoint of like this happened to me so i don't like the deck because of it um, which i don't necessarily know that way but um yeah no i i, I completely agree with you um you, your rc is coming up in six weeks uh, yeah, I didn't remember. Okay, sweet. Right before the American one. Or yeah, right I, well, the... th this is the last cycle where Canada still has two. So our first one has already happened uh, <laughs> a, yeah, a week or two that. ago. 
And then we have the other one, which there's going to be a whole new set out by then, uh, Lost Caverns of Ixalan, and uh, maybe that's going to shake things up, or maybe the RCs in between, like new stuff will come out of those. So uh, again, if you force me to lock it in right now, I could do that. But yeah. also, I don't know if that will be wise by the time that tournament comes around. So I, I think you, you, you get a nice, uh, healthy balance there. For sure. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the one that you're going to is closer to you, I guess, um, geographically. Yeah, it, it is just okay. in my hometown. And also, the one out west was the weekend after Worlds in Vegas. So at that point, I, I really didn't want to leave the house, let alone get on a plane again for a week or two. So we were, we were <laughs> happy to, to set that one out. <laughs> understandable um uh, vegas as a place or the tournament experience? <laughs> yeah I, tournament didn't go so well for me but basically i got to wander around this gigantic event site watching a bunch of people i know win or lose matches in their tournaments that were very important for like a lot of money or high stakes or whatever so uh I thought after Vegas, I would need some time to decompress and step away for a bit. But then watching that, like that is the thing, at least for me, that makes me just want to get back in the trenches and, and play more again. Um, so now I'm kind of fiending to uh, just, I, I guess, FNM or something. It's not going to scratch that itch. But the, the, yeah. next, the next big tournament that comes around, I'm going to be uh, excited for. Yeah. Is, is the RC the next big one for you or is there any energy events near you? Uh, well, none of them are near me, really. There was one okay. in Michigan just across the border earlier this year, which I was able to go to, and that, that was why, effectively. But uh, I, unless I'm forgetting something, which is bad of me, then yeah, <laughs> I think that is that, that is the next one. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. The um, the other thing I was gonna I was gonna say is like um, do you, as far as like I want to try to get into the the idea of like what how i guess for for worlds for instance or yeah like let's just say worlds right we'll use worlds as an example how far away do you start testing knowing that the format is not going to be changing at all in the sense of there's no new cards there's no things like this um and i guess what do you focus on more do you focus more on the constructive aspect of it or do you focus more on the limited aspect of it is there like a i'm i'm i've been a part of one uh, a couple PT like testing teams in the sense of like they were very structured they were very um they were very okay for the these next couple hours we're going to do this 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 and this and this is why uh we're going to all group back after this discuss what we learned things like that it for your testing I know you you're kind of part of a, a larger team uh but do you guys start like a couple couple weeks out do you guys start like a month out are you guys just constantly playing on your own and then you kind of just go and talk to each other about what you guys have learned or seen or understood about what's going on in the format currently? I guess, how, how does that process work for you? So there are these uh, checkpoints on the schedule that everything else has to be warped around. So uh, the release of Borders of Eldrain was just a few weeks before the, the tournament date itself and really hard to do too much before you know what the cards are going to be, before you have a chance to actually sit down and prepare with those. And sometimes the newest set in standard doesn't really have much of an impact. And there was some risk of that being the case here. I think that even though it's no Throne of Eldraine, right, this is still just a, a set with a lot of cool cards in it and a lot of stuff which you want to at least try and reasons to build decks differently. And so even though the, the finals was effectively... Uh, decks that already existed, just two different builds of Esper facing off against each other. Uh, well, there are a few new cards in there, and then the way that all the other decks in the fo in the format are built 
uh, is heavily contingent on their own new cards, what they expect other decks to pick up, and so on. So really, there's not much you can do uh, before the point where you, uh, you, you have the, the new stuff to work with. What you can do is just take the lay of the land. So you don't know what kind of mid-range deck is going to be the, the good default with the new cards, but you know, firstly, what the, the current one is going to be if you uh, put the work in to figure that out. And then also you can start asking, what does this need from the new set? Like what cards would uh, improve this position in the format? Uh, what cards would it really struggle with if those became popular or some of those uh, got printed? And with that information, you can kind of hit the ground running in terms of evaluating the new stuff because the, the cards these days, a lot of them are so wordy and but also so versatile that it's quite hard to gauge at a glance how good they're going to be, where they're going to be at their best, or where they're even just going to be good. Like sometimes you find a home for a card where it seems a little bit unnatural, but that's fine. It, it being a six out of 10 there is almost more important for the big picture than it being a nine out of 10 in the deck where you would imagine it's meant to be from the outset. Uh, so you you can kind of put a little bit of prep work in and then once you get the new cards, really start delving deep into that. And having to balance constructed and limited is, is always a challenge, especially if I think for most people, you either strongly prefer one or the other. So I'm someone who I much prefer playing constructed, but because of that, I know I have to put more work in in limited to get to the point where I'm going to feel confident there. And then for other people, it's the other way around. Or they were left to their own devices, just be drafting the whole time. But they know they got to put some work in to figure out a standard deck because that's where uh, they're going to struggle. So balancing those desires individually and then over the course of a team, that that is a challenge in itself. And that's not, I mean, even the teams that have worked together uh, for years at this point and been successful, like they have to kind of confront that issue every time a, a new tournament comes around. Uh, so it's tough. I... I don't think we really have figured it out yet either. And the nature of the system currently is unless you spike one thing, you, you're kind of either going to everything or going to just the next thing. Um, yeah. So the, the, the stakes here are actually made very sharp when the last round of Worlds, there was a guy, uh, Ken Takahama, who was playing a winner for top eight. And if he won, he would top eight Worlds. So that, I mean, an amazing accomplishment by itself which in turn would qualify him for the next world and also all three PTs of next year in between. But instead he lost and he's not qualified for anything and had to go back to playing his, his RCQs. And like that's, that, that's an extreme <laughs> example, but there's a lot of cases like that where if you don't know if your friend is going to be there in a tournament or two, it's hard to have that roster over the course of a year where you, like, you really get to know people and you get to hone that process and you get to keep all those same factors in place. Um, so that's something which I think every team is, is having to, to grapple with uh, these days. That's, yeah, like, sure. that's so yeah. soul-crushing too. Like Just being one win away from either having, like quote-unquote, having it all to having just go back, playing our, go, go back to playing RCQs. Like... Yeah, didn't Ken, he, he, he like conceded to uh, the guy that made eighth, didn't he? I think so. I, I, I'm not for sure, I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty sure he conceded the last round. Um, well, it, that draw. was, yeah, so that was one of those things where it's, it's going to time and then you want the match to have a conclusion. And I think as things turned out, him drawing, he still would not have top eighted and would have got the same, the same nothing as a result, if you like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there was a guy who drew himself into ninth, and as a result, uh, isn't qualified for a bunch of stuff now. So yeah, the, the stakes in those rounds are very, very high. And you, 
you you kind of need that to be the case to some extent, right? Like you want people to feel like the the matches matter, the tournaments matter, and it's you don't want people to feel soul crushed. But if they are so disappointed that they don't get to keep playing these tournaments, that's kind of a a good sign for the tournaments themselves. That's true. Way. Yeah. Um, that's not how I would try to console them in the moment, yeah. but you know, <laughs> no, if, hey, if, this if, got the fire lit back in you. Okay, you got to come back and try again. Yeah. <laughs> But like you, you. I think almost the worst thing that can happen is like you top eight the tournament or you lose this round playing for top eight of the tournament and you don't care because at that point, like, why are we even here? Right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I would like the system to be uh, a little less sharp at those edges. Like I think Ken should be qualified for something, if not everything. Um, but I, I think uh, as long as people like him have a little bit of a softer landing, like the. Yeah, the, the system mostly works. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that they don't have something in place for Worlds because it is the biggest stage, right? So I'm surprised they don't have something in place where it's like, you know, they have the tier breakdown of, you know, top eight makes, you know, the next the whole next year's Pro Tours plus uh, they qual- requalify for Worlds again. Uh, or I'm surprised they don't have like a breakdown of like, okay, top 16 gets, you know, an invite to the next Pro Tour or the top 32 gets an invite to the next RC season or, you know, something like that. That's like, you don't necessarily walk. I know there's a lot of money involved too. You are, you are getting a a okay chunk of change. Obviously Vegas isn't cheap. So, you know, what, what does it really wash out to? We don't know. Um, But for the most part, I feel like there should be a little bit more meat on the bone, I guess you could say. Uh, for people that have made it to the highest stage. I think that that is something that would be very rewarding to do all the hard work that goes into getting to their, that stage um, to only essentially have it be kind of disappointing in the end if you don't get to a certain point. And... Yeah, I, in their defense, they, they are having to figure this out too because this is sure. the first year back on the paper PT and it's uh, it has a lot... Uh, in common with the old system, but the import the differences are pretty important too. And also, they are trying to consciously keep these events uh, a lot smaller these days than they used to be. And part of that is that there is like the the thousand dollar min cash or whatever. So unless you're willing to do away with that, then you can't just easily add a hundred people to a tournament without hurting your bottom line. So uh, trying to juggle all of that at once is difficult. I think this is one of those cases where you maybe could have seen something like this coming, like this when the system is set up this way whoever just barely misses out uh in the last few rounds of worlds is, is going to have this this steep drop off um but hopefully the system if it remains roughly like this for the next year or two like that that kind of stuff can be figured out over time yeah it's for just sure. it's already kind of like to be realistic like it's already kind of hard to hit the pro tour right because you have to win an rcq then you have to perform pretty well at the rc so not only do you have to play extremely well, you have to have like a lot of things go right for you. Like, cause even if you play your best, you know, sometimes you're just, you're, you're still going to lose. Right. So you need to have that balance of skill and luck. And then once you do get to the pro tour, it's like, okay, cool. So you do qualify through worlds through the pro tour, right? Uh, so, so I did. Yeah. So you, you top eight worlds, you, or you top eight the Pro Tour, then, you are qualified for Worlds, and then doing well enough over the course of the PT season will get you there as well. But the, the thing about the the Pro Tour itself is there's basically just one funnel at this point. So for the, the next PT in Chicago, well, let's say 
you want to qualify for that and you th- this is your so uh, your sole priority for the next few months you're going to do everything you can to to get to chicago well what you do is you try really hard for your rc because that's your one shot um there's, there's not the same like I, I think it's good that people don't feel obliged to be jet setting around the world to gps that they don't really don't don't even want to go to just in search <laughs> of one pro point or something but the flip side of that is if you want to chase the dream and you have the the time and the means to do that well you can't really deliver on that anymore you just have to hope that your one shot plays out and if it doesn't well i'll try again next season hopefully that one goes better um so the it, it's much more regimented in terms of if and how you can qualify which means just the, the natural variance of a tournament is going to make itself out sometimes. Um, and if you're someone who really wants to sink everything you have into the game, the system won't let you do that, which is good in some ways, but also like in the moment it can really feel like it just like you, you don't even want me to be here and I'm trying to give you everything. If that makes sense. <laughs> That's fair. So do you, so speaking on that though, do you, do you, I guess your viewpoint, do you, would you, if they were, they were like, Dom, you have to make the decision. We will bring back GPs every weekend across the globe. Uh, if you say yes, or if you say no, would, would you, would you, what would you answer? Would you be like, yes, cause I will go to them. Or would you be like, no, I don't think it's realistic. So the, the tension there, or one of them is, do you want to give people who wouldn't otherwise want to go an incentive to be there? So for me, if there's just some large magic tournament or magic convention within a few hours drive or an easy flight of me, I'm, I'm going to want to go to that if, if all the plans work out. But do you want to give someone like me an incentive to go to one that I, ah, it's a bit far and I don't really want to go and I don't like the format? Should I feel incentivized or obliged even to go to that tournament? I think the answer should be no. I think too often in the old system, the answer was yes. But then the flip side of that is in a world where you kind of need the players as part of your marketing and the players are going out of the way to market themselves. I think it was a big draw to a lot of those aspiring competitive players that if I go to my local GP, let's say I'm in Europe or something, there is a chance that uh, LSV or Sam Black or something is going to be there because they need the points uh, for whatever is the next rung on the ladder that they need and they wouldn't be here otherwise. But, you know, they, they, they got to go to work. This is a business trip for them. Um, so... I think probably a healthy version of that kind of event is one that makes that trade-off. But that's okay. I think that's a, a fine trade-off to make. As for the PT size itself, like if you like you can't do GPs every weekend without those GPs having invites. And if those GPs have invites, then they just overwhelm all these other sources of qualification. So you you can't really do that. But for example, at these these Magicons now, which are effectively big uh yeah gps plus more with the the pt attached to them you do have uh like the uh the limited 100k in vegas there's going to be standard i think 75ks now and i believe the top eight there uh qualifies and stuff like that sounds pretty good to me and yeah i i don't know if you can unmoor those from the magic content and have those as these like freestanding events on top of that um but if you are capping those at four a year like I, I would like to think we can do more than that, but that probably has to come in drips and drabs. You can't just bring GPs back wholesale. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, it, it makes sense. I think that the current state of, of where, I guess, everything, all the money is being applied 
Uh, it really would, like you said, it wouldn't make sense, especially if they're trying to keep it small. Um, I do think that like the independent, uh, like I, I, so for me, I wish they'd bring back like the SCG tour. I loved it. I thought it was great. I used to go to all the events. I live in like the Southern part of the U S so it was pretty hard for me to travel to all these, but I would usually have like a crew to travel with, you know, 10 hours, you know, something like that, some crazy amount of time in a car, but it was always just a fun thing to go to all the time. And it was just, uh, I, I recently went to NRG in St. Louis a couple months ago, um, played in their team event, um, and you know, NRG runs a great tournament and everything. It's it's just uh, I guess I have a, a bias because I'm in like the south, southeastern part of the U.S. So it's it all the, the mo- majority of those tournaments and stuff are either all the way on the west coast for uh, like the Laughing Dragon uh, series, whatever it's I forgot what it's called, um, or you know NRG in the northeast. So it's like you know it's hard to kind of justify going to those all the time, but I don't know. I, I was a huge proponent of going to all the GPs back in the day. Um, whenever they would have GPs, you know, every you know every weekend, every other weekend, um, it was just a fun experience. Uh, especially like you know having the option to go to either SCG or um, you know a GP or whatever you wanted to that any given weekend. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's it's kind of like a, I miss the old days type deal. <laughs> um, but I, I get why the the system has changed now into what it has uh, based off of you know obviously the recent events going on in the world over the last few years. So um, yeah, I just for me, I, I, think I, I share the same sentiment of it is kind of I guess hard to grasp the idea of I have to play towards this one tournament this one tournament will feed me to the next um, and then I have to maintain that um, some of that is kind of discouraging at times um, but at the same time it's just you know it, it, I think you have to share have a certain passion for the game to, to kind of go out of your way to do all those things uh, and you know for me it's like a lot of these times I don't really uh, I don't really have an issue with, with the monetary value of getting there it's more so of I just enjoy doing it, so I don't know if necessarily that's just like kind of the mindset that some people de- did used to have back in the day or still do have now. But um, I definitely would like to see more opportunities to like do a little bit of larger tournaments, um, just in the U.S. Uh, and, and and anywhere else really. Honestly, it's just like just one, you know, one a couple times a year. I know they have Magic Cons and stuff during the Pro Tours, but. Um, I feel like one maybe off every once in a while would be a little bit a little bit better, I think, um, especially because people have like this large gap like we're going through right now of, you know, we what when was the last RC before it was the middle of the summer or the beginning of the summer? It was San Diego, right? This year. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, no it was yeah, Dallas. It was, Dallas. It was yep. Dallas. Yeah, we were I was I was in Dallas. I think it was like June or something. Uh, and then you have this large gap of like June until December is when our next RC is. So it's like. Now I just basically don't really have anything to do for this entire like seven months, um, so or six months or whatever it is. But um, yeah, no, I, I think there like Vegas was an option to go to, um, but at the same time it was like for me I'm just like not a huge limited player, so like going to Vegas was just like it would just be more of like a leisure trip. But no, I I, I get it. I, I appreciate you know your your insight onto like how how other I guess pros think about the way that the current system set up yeah i mean so to i to circle back to a question you asked me before where i'm realizing now uh the probably the biggest tournament i have coming up or the next one is actually 
SCG Pittsburgh, assuming I can find a ride to that. So that's oh, uh, yes. mid-November or something, and that's like a, I want to say a modern 10K and a modern 5K. So two pretty big tournaments, uh, good location, convenient distance for me, but the event almost feels forgettable in the sense that there's not going to be coverage of it unless Anurag does his own uh, third-party thing, which is, is great, but doesn't have the same uh, kind of uh, musty TV quality that, that it used to. For sure. And then also the people who are local to it probably will go, but there's not going to be, you know, if I drive five hours to there from one direction, the people who are five hours away in the other direction, like who I might not ever see again outside of, feeling the need to go to stuff like that i don't know if they're going to be there because unless they feel like they're part of something larger where oh maybe this event doesn't go well but i got to see the other people who are also always at all of these events too and uh like the, i know the, the company will be good even if the the tournament itself doesn't go well and then you know there's coverage and uh and stuff like that like the the events don't have the same kind of cachet to them and so there are large-ish magic tournaments around if you know where to look and maybe actually more than there have been in a while if you branch it out to like cedh or that there's there's a a decent mix of stuff but it's not there's no kind of a one track where it kind of ties everything together um and so yeah if you want to get your fix you have to kind of chop and change in a way where before you could be a gp grinder you could be an seg grinder uh you could pick your focus and really drill down hard on that and now you just kind of have to take what you can get where you can get it yeah yeah that's for sure and that's the one thing that i think that a lot of i mean just talking to magic players in general like i whenever i go to all these big events like we went to scg columbus a couple weeks ago or like a month or so ago and you know i do get to just see a lot of people that i don't normally get to see and for for me it's like i kind of just grasping the general idea that all of them kind of talk about is that they w- a lot of people do wish that there was a another type of series or something like that with, you know, kind of how SCG used to run it, where they had a leaderboard. Um, you know, you get there was something bigger to play for within the series while also being able to achieve the goal of being outside that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody steps up and tries to do it um, and tries to create some type of thing like that. I know NRG is doing it, but it's not as big of a scale as star city was um but at least somebody out here is trying to do it i think it's great just because if you it's kind of like the same concept if you build it they will come um and i think for the nrg events like i the, the two that i went to they were both packed both times so um yeah i just and that was the last tournament that you could qualify for the for the rc playing legacy so of course we had to show up to that but <laughs> um yeah, no. Um yeah, it's it's definitely something that uh I wanted to kind of get your take on in in the, in the grand scheme of everything. Um So the um what are you, what are you kind of doing right now like in the off time? Are you just kind of just enjoying life and just kind of playing casually or are you still like I guess gr- are you grinding a lot of vintage online or <laughs> still? <laughs> I don't know if uh, grinding is the right word necessarily, but uh, yeah, I'm just trying to have fun where I can get it. I mean, still, I, I have a KubeCon actually next week. So that is a... Oh, yeah. It's a casual event, but one that uh, I'm kind of thinking about intentionally, if that makes sense. Like, which cubes do I want to play? Uh, what shape do I want my own cube to bring uh, to be in when I bring it? Just for, like, after-hours cubing and just 
I, I'm treating it as like a thing to focus on as opposed to, oh, well, I'll just go and have a good time, which I will, but I, I want to, you know, make sure I can kind of deliver on that. Um, and then there's, you know, I'm helping friends prepare for their RCs and there's just like different local stuff scattered across different formats. Uh, there are some uh, showcases on Magic Online, which are one of the more competitive events on there. So it can still kind of whet my appetite there if I want to, but um, definitely looking forward to not having this one big thing like looming over everything the way yeah. that uh, the PTs are or the Worlds was. And Worlds was such a quick turnaround from that final PT as well that it felt like as soon as I had kind of finished celebrating from Barcelona and got home and uh, recovered from the travel, it's like, okay, well, now we just have to uh, focus on Worlds. And so having this offseason, like, by the time we get to January or February, I will be raring to go again. But for now, it is nice just to be able just to chill for once and, yeah, uh, and take a break. <laughs> Understandably. Yeah. So you are queued for Chicago already, correct? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is there any more after that that you're already queued for? Or is that the to the to the furthest extent that you... Well, yeah. So that, that finish in Barcelona gets me... It, it gets you enough of the uh, adjusted match points, is what they call them, where okay. basically your record over the past three PTs determines uh, if you have an invite on points for the next one and uh top eighting apt effectively guarantees that you get uh enough points for the next three um so i have oh, sweet yeah so i have the next year of those uh, to look forward to and it, it's going to be fun knowing that my, you know if i have a bad uh, weekend in chicago then i still have more chances to redeem myself and it, it's not the the end of the world in that sense so not having that pressure i mean there, there's a lot of other pressure at the pt but not having that specific <laughs> yeah. one is is going to be welcome yeah, you don't have this looming weight of oh my god i need to do well at this one like i have to yeah yeah i feel like when you have that that kind of leeway it's probably a little bit more relaxing to just go and enjoy the the experience rather than having to like even think about stressing about how, like trying to do well um is, is chicago a drive or a, a flight for you uh, it is theoretically drivable, but realistically, okay. you're going to okay. fly. Okay. And the, the flights, though, the flights are not that bad. So. Uh, yeah, that's fair. compared I, to Vegas or certainly Barcelona as well. Um, you could drive yeah. to Barcelona. We're hoping. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, yeah, how long did I, I'm, I'm kind of backtracking and rabbit trailing here? But how long did you get like stay in Barcelona for the entire pro tour? Were you there for like a week? Were you there for like? I don't. I guess how long was your trip to Barcelona? And did you get to experience just have you know have a day or two to just kind of experience Barcelona? Well, well I've experienced it uh, several times before. It, yeah, it is my sure. favorite tourist destination. Uh, back when I was living uh, in the UK, so I was excited to go back and see some of the personal highlights again. But I didn't need to uh, take all the time to kind of soak everything in from gotcha. scratch. Which, if you're doing that, then take as much time as you can. You take take a few days for sure because it's it's an amazing place. But uh, for me. Uh, I, I could only, with my schedule, manage a day or two like to myself after the PT, but that, that was kind of enough to, to get yeah. to get get done what I wanted to do. For sure, yeah. I was just say I think I, I think I remember you saying that on. I think it was might have been Grindcast whenever Chris had you on, mm-hmm. and uh, you mentioned something about you've already been there multiple times. It just slipped my mind as I was saying it, but um, yeah, that's that's it's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean for me, it's it's. Uh, kind of nice to uh i guess talk to someone that is actively playing at the highest level um you know i know we had nick price on a couple weeks ago and he was 
you know, saying the same thing, but obviously we were kind of talking more so with him about his geographical location and how hard it mm. is for him to actually compete at the highest level in the sense. So it is kind of brutal for, for him to have to worry about that. I wish it was a easier way for him to, to be able to just have access. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, you see some people say, oh, why don't they just have all of the events on Arena, on Magic Online? And I've never been one of those people. Like, I am a creature of Paper Magic and and always will be. And I think a lot of the online events they did have, they figured it out over time, but it, it just never had the same vibe. People just didn't really care as much. Yeah. Um, you know, the viewers and the players as well. That said, I, I do wish there was more online stuff for people in Nick's position and people like him to sink their teeth into, where I guess there's... The Arena Championship, which was actually this this past weekend, not that most people could have told you that because uh, (laughs) it wasn't really advertised much at all. Uh, Arena still is not spectator-friendly in the slightest, and uh, it doesn't really tie into the larger structure at all so yeah the the finalists they're good world so that that's great they have that to look forward to but for the rest of us there's not really a reason to care about that so correct i I wish that there was stuff like that where yeah if you're living in somewhere where just getting to vegas or spain or whatever is is not trivial that uh you you could still participate in competitive magic to some extent yeah i agree i I think it's uh something that probably needs to be worked on uh, you know, because I, I, it's I, Nick's not the only person I've seen it from. You know, I've seen it from other people as well, where they've just had issues, whether it's a visa or you know, just wherever they are geographically, it just costs too much, or you know, whatever it may be. Um, I, I wish that those people that are doing well and performing well still had the opportunity to go play um, at the highest level, like like everyone else can. So, yeah, no, I I I, um, I feel for for the people like that. Um, I. Uh, I also, we had like a brief conversation about um, like the difference between competitiveness, I guess you could say, between countries. And um, so for a brief period of time, my my parents lived in Singapore for about five or six years. And so I was able to attend like the Singapore GP back in the day and like go to other things like that, um, other events in Singapore whenever I would go visit. And I felt like in comparison to locally or like, you know, uh, my own region, everyone just, I don't want to say this to be rude, but almost was like they cared more about the game, which was uh, a little bit different and eye opening. And I felt that same way with, with Nick, he's like living in a region where, you know, he's trying to play at the highest level and still kind of constrained. Um, and since we don't have those global GPs or like things like that, that are a little bit easier for him, it kind of, kind of stinks that um you know he has to kind of relief uh, or f- f- kind of keep rolling those invites as far as he can go until he, it can actually work so so yeah. do you think it's because they have less frequency of events than we do well i mean that's always going to happen right i think i think like north america in general is always going to have the most events just because that's that's just where the, I think the the most conglomerate of players are. Uh, but I don't necessarily, I, I think that the people, they still have an RC where he's at. Like the RC was in the Philippines, I believe. Um, which, you know, he was like, is he, he said that it was like 10 minutes from his house or whatever, or 15 minutes from his house. Um, you know, so that is pretty easy access for him. And I think he had to maybe take a ferry to Singapore or something one time. But, um, you know, at the same time, I just, uh, 
it kind of sucks for those people is what I'm saying. Basically boiling it down to is it's kind of brutal that they, you know, are still competing at the highest level within their country or within their region. And they are not able to continue that run. So, um, that's what I was kind of trying to get at. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I don't think I have much else, uh, kind of written down to talk down, but you have anything else that you kind of want to I don't want to say Vega. Do you have any other questions for for Dom? Well, we usually like to end episodes off on either a funny topic or or an off the wall magic moment you've had. So, like, have you ever? What's your most memorable? So, if if you have nothing else to to say, of course. What's your most memorable like magic moment where you're like either like did this really just happen to me or like what is my opponent doing like? Have you ever has anybody ever tried to like blatantly cheat against you or anything funny happen in a match? Well, well, you see, at the last Pro Tour, you may have heard about this little this little incident that occurred round sixteen. <laughs> there, I, I, I mean, it, it, I, I it sounds like a cop out, and I'm sure there are other good like second or third place answers from across the years. But it, yeah, I mean the the weirdest thing that has happened to me at an event is probably just. Yeah, at the last big event that I played, like Vegas not included, so I, I guess I still have the uh, the, the recency bias in there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it's going to be hard to top that one, honestly. I'm not, but the universe will find a way, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm also a firm believer that if you didn't run into Jake in that top eight, you win the tournament. Do you also share that sentiment? Oh, uh, it, it, it's tough. Like, I, so, you can say it. You I mean, it. <laughs> well, it, it, if you give me Tron for the rest of the black uh, bracket, then yeah, I'll do my best to just clear through those. If it's Rhinos, it's like, it's, it's a little bit more tricky, but I, I did, part of me did feel like against Shake, yeah, I, I'm basically playing for a Pro Tour title to some extent. Yeah. Um, and by the time I lost, it was like, yeah, I felt overdue. Like, I didn't expect to get this far. And, um, it was my first loss to scam out of five matches in the tournament and you you really expect to lose to that deck with this deck uh yeah. a lot sooner than that so i didn't feel like i kind of got screwed out of anything but it was mm-hmm. eh, you know i i definitely felt the stakes there to some extent yeah yeah because we were i think we were watching it and i was like we were we were like hoping that uh, i mean not necessarily hoping that, that it would happen but we were hoping that the stars would continue to align um, you can say and, hoping. No, we, yeah. we, we can say we were hoping for that. <laughs> yeah, we were hoping that Jake would would have lost his top eight match so that you would have had an easier quarterfinal. Uh, but uh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it's still it's still an incredible run uh, after a huge surprising. Oops, I'm now in top eight. Um, so that was really cool. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Dom, like, uh, I guess. Where can people find you on social media? And uh, I guess if you're ever creating any content, where, where can they find that? Yeah, you can find uh, me on Twitter at Domin Javier. You can find my articles. I am the, the last person basically still flying the flag over at uh, Star City <laughs> Games. Uh, usually every week, sometimes every other week. Uh, often found as a guest on podcasts like this or on streams, but also have my own podcast that many people will know. Yeah. If you don't, uh, search for... Dominario's Judgment, wherever you get your podcast, and make sure that it's the feed that has been updated last week as opposed to like two years ago. Because, yeah, <laughs> that, I, I, I am shocked by the number of people who say, Oh, I really love the podcast. I'm sad you stopped doing it. And it's just because they literally didn't realize and their feed hasn't been updating. So, um, <laughs> if you're one of those, then good news. I, I guess you have a nice backlog to, to go and catch up on. But, uh, yeah, it can be found there. And then, uh, 
yeah, can just be found playing magic, talking about magic a lot, um, and always happy to answer questions or be roped into things if people have opportunities. Yeah, so you said earlier the best way to get in touch with you about any type of coaching would be through, I guess, DMs on Twitter, you said? Yeah, that's right. Um, okay. Yeah, usually we'll get back to those uh, within a day or two. Yeah, I mean, you've also, speaking about your podcast, you've been super busy, so I understand why you have missed a couple episodes, so I, I completely get it. Um, but you guys always have a good fill-in with either Jarvis or somebody else, so it's always, it's always a good listen. I listen every week, so um, I appreciate what you guys do over there. It's kind of what uh, in part inspired us to kind of start doing what we're doing um, and, and just kind of doing it not necessarily for, um, you know, any monetary value at all, but more so because we enjoy doing it. So, and that's something that I feel like you and Ari do as well is you guys just enjoy talking about, um, you know, the current state of magic, what's going on, diving deep into certain things um, and, and going from there. And I think that you guys are, are great at, at being a co a host and a co-host and you guys are a great balance. So yeah, no, I, we appreciate you and what you did for your podcast as well. Well, I, I appreciate all of that. No, yeah, no, that, that was awesome. So again, thank you guys so much for listening to this week's podcast. If you guys want to find Dom on his socials for coaching and or Titan insight, uh, we're going to include his Twitter in the show notes slash description down below. We've also included his podcast, Dominarius Judgment, down below, so make sure you go and check it out as well. Thanks again, everyone, and we hope you have a good rest of your week. Bye, everyone.